much, Chris. Uh, so, uh, a 1998 analysis of the Assembly's economic agenda, looking back with a view to the future. Now, uh, that title, at first glance, it might seem a wee bit arcane, but let me just uh, spell out um, and what, what my aim here is. I'm going to be looking at, first of all, what happened with respect to the Northern Ireland economy during the 1998 to 2023 period. But I'm going to be particularly doing that in the context of a journal article of which I was a co-author. That article was actually published in the middle of 1998. The, the details are shown there. The other authors, Professor David Hitchens, then at Queen's University. Indeed, I was at Queen's University at that point. But then additionally, towards the end of my presentation, I hope to use all of this, and perhaps this will be the more interesting part of what I say, I'm assuming it is interesting, um, I'll use that as a springboard into the next 25 years. So it's a mixture of looking backwards, but sometimes to look forwards, you need to look backwards. So in that article in 1998, um, we did consider uh, the question of whether devolution would, first of all, improve policy, and then secondly, as a consequence of that, improve uh, the economic outcomes. And certainly in 1998, and I can just about uh, remember it, uh, what the atmosphere was like then, uh, amongst uh, various groups in fact, there, there was a widespread feeling uh, that devolution, the agreement in fact, would, through leading to greater political stability and greater trust, lead to better economic outcomes, some of which are suggested in, in the uh, middle there of the slide. But it is worth noting at this point that much of this analysis back in 1998 was based on the assumption that the, the agreement and the devolution that followed thereafter would lead to greater political stability. Now, we spent some time in the article, or sorry, um, since in the article we were suggesting that people were saying that, it's worth then looking at the outcomes uh, during the period 1998 to 2023 to see if there was much evidence of economic improvement. I'll not spend much time on this point because this is mainly, I think, what Graham's paper will be concentrating on. I've simply used one indicator there, uh, the level of gross domestic product or output per person in North Ireland as a percentage of the UK level, take the most up-to-date Office for National Statistics data, and whilst you can say there, the graph line there is quite bumpy, there's no clear upwards trend. So North Ireland has persisted in having a living standards gap relative to the UK average, uh, not much sign of sustained improvement over the last 20 years. Uh, five years or so. Now, turning to some of the specific points that we made in the 1998 paper, uh, these are a mixture of, to some degree, predictions, dare I say forecasts, although they're not the normal economic modelling sense of economic forecasts, 
And sometimes they're recommendations, but let's see how far they stand up against what actually happened during 1998 to, through to today. First point, back in 1998, we were arguing that peace would not be a sufficient condition for a, a, an economic upsurge. And I would say, I think events have certainly confirmed that. And there is a sort of logic for why things happened this way. Um, the logic being that North Island had a competitiveness problem before um, the Troubles, before 1969. Therefore, political improvement by itself, whilst in itself desirable, would not necessarily by itself lead to a step change in economic growth or indeed economic performance. Second point, now this is about environmental policy, um, maybe a more subtle or complex point. I think there is an argument that prior to 1998 in North Ireland, uh, to some extent there may be some similarities to what was then happening in the Republic of Ireland, there was a sense of a bit of a toxic trade-off. In other words, to some extent, policymakers and indeed the general public and the business community were accepting less favourable environmental outcomes in order to try and achieve um, more favourable um, economic outcomes. Uh, what we said in 1998 was to the extent there was such a trade-off, it, it would be hard or it would be wrong to continue doing that, but it would be hard to move away from it. Now, what, what does some of the data show? Well, my colleagues at the Economic Policy Centre, in terms of the competitiveness scorecard for Northern Ireland, have shown that in the late 2010s, the most recent data that we have, Northern Ireland actually is performing better than the European average with respect to both levels of carbon gases per person and indeed in terms of the declines in such but at the same time, a number of other environmental indicators are not favourable and do not score well against either the UK or indeed the European average. Things like um, the percentage of imported oil used, the recycling, domestic recycling uh, rate and so forth. We all know about uh, the difficulties in achieving a climate change act in Northern Ireland. It took longer here than elsewhere. And at the bottom there of the slide, I do suggest there, that there are at least three difficult environmental, stroke environmental to economy relationship questions which uh, lie ahead. Oh, I'm using the wrong one. <laughs> Technology is wonderful as long as you don't put a human being in charge of it. No, I'll put it there. Right, make sure I use that one. Third point that we stressed was a pretty obvious point that external relations would continue to be very important for North Ireland, principally um, the North South relationship, the economic relationship with the Republic, and indeed with the rest of the European Union. Now, in the 1998 article, um, we anticipate it, rightly, I think, uh, that of major importance would be the upcoming development of the European single currency, which did obviously come into existence, the euro, at the start of this century, so a couple of years after 1998. 
What we didn't anticipate, so here I freely admit uh, uh, you know, a, a lack of a fully uh, functioning crystal ball, was that there would be a referendum in 2016 on European Union membership. That, that did seem very unlikely um, at that point in 1998 that that would happen. Fourth point, the trade-off, and trade-off is where you can't get two good things at once, you get more of one, you get less of the other. The trade-off between equality and efficiency would remain challenging. Now, this, this is an interesting one because I know there are many, and indeed the numbers who take this position have increased since 1998. There are many who dispute that there is any trade-off at all, and these commentators argue that you should aim for greater economic efficiency, a greater economic growth, and that you can get to that position, that desirable position, through promoting greater social and income equality. So that has been, for example, um, the relatively recent orthodoxy of the IMF. People point to the Nordic countries. There are the flags there, Sweden, Finland, Norway, uh, Denmark, and Iceland, probably too. Um, and there have been a number of books, academic books, about this. Pickett and Wilkinson's book was notable, The Spirit Level. But what I'm going to argue, what we were arguing back in 1998, and I still believe it, and I think the evidence points to it, that whatever may be the truth in the long run, as economists talk about, in the short to medium run, I'm afraid I think there are trade-offs between equality and efficiency. So there are real policy dilemmas, which hitherto, and I think throughout the period 1998 to 2023, um, North Island executives were reluctant to, 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 to face that there is a trade-off. So just to give an example or to, to illustrate this, um, North Ireland, in particularly through the work of Invest NI, particularly in terms of investment relating to service businesses uh, with uh, you know, location or headquarters in the United States, um, has been highly successful. Um, the, the best, Belfast was the best performing part of the UK, bar London, between 2003 and 2015, in terms of the employment rate for inward movement of United States service businesses. So it's the fintech, the back offices, the legal service companies that you know, we all know where they are, down the city centre, Titanic, and so on. But they were primarily coming to Greater Belfast, and of course, there is a strong economic explanation for that in terms of what economists call agglomeration or net network economies, things like having a, a large population of, of graduates or people who recently graduated. And it's how that could be or would be squared with repeated policy statements from Northern governments and the Northern departments about so-called sub-regional balance. And of course, I think this is going to be a continuing dilemma in the future. Fifth point. In 1998, we were saying that uh, a relatively high level of public spending in North Ireland was both a blessing and a bane. It had positive consequences for the economy, but undoubtedly it also had negative consequences. Positive consequences include pretty obvious effects on demand in the economy, and spending power, maintaining levels of employment. 
but the negative relates to things like encouraging dependency, uh, leading to a lower quality of decision-making in both the public and, and the private sectors. But again, I'm not claiming that we had perfect foresight in 1998, and there were a number of things we didn't anticipate. Um, I have to say we didn't anticipate perhaps how bad certain things would become. Uh, let me elaborate on that. Didn't anticipate that there would be repeated financial packages, obviously associated with repeated hiatuses or breakdowns or uh, whatever in, in the running of Stormont. Things like uh, Stormont House, Fresh Start, New Decade, New Approach, and whatever package may arrive on the scene later this year or maybe next year. And of course, uh, as economists and others would argue, the, the downside of such packages is that they could encourage a situation of what's termed moral hazard. In other words, putting this very bluntly, if a package is sort of the consequence of bad behaviour, by giving a package you incentivise continued bad behaviour in the future. I know that's a rather dismal reading of, of policy and human behaviour. You can always say it's called the dismal science. But I think there's a lot to suggest that the facts support it. What we also didn't anticipate was the extent to which there is a, a so-called free money mentality in Northern Ireland. In other words, a more polite way of putting that might be our key priority is maximising the public spending block coming from the Treasury in London, uh, but much less emphasis on the efficiency of use of that block of money. So it's uh, um, at its worst the fill your boots mentality. That was, of course, supremely, but not only, exemplified by RHI. And another thing that um, wasn't anticipated partly because it's only really become obvious in recent years, and no doubt, unless something changes, it will become more obvious in the next few years, is the Barnet squeeze. Uh, the fact that the, the mathematics and mechanics of the Barnet formula uh, would lead to Northland's advantage relative to England in terms, or the UK average in terms of spending per head, public spending per head, that would start to fall and indeed in the last few years and the next few years, assuming nothing changes, that drop in the relative position is going to become quite pronounced and that will have serious consequences and challenges. A sixth point, um, that competition would be stressed, improving the competitiveness of the North End economy, but actually achieving that desirable outcome would prove elusive. And I think the record there confirmed that prediction. So I'm looking at the various economic strategies which appeared after 1998. They're listed there um, in the, the bullet point there in the middle of the slide. Now let's turn to conclusions. Um, there's a fairly obvious point about predictions. Uh, you get some of them right, you get some of them wrong, and you know, that little blue box there taken from the World Economic Forum shows that this happens all the time. Um, you know, people fail to predict the development of the uh, personal computer and so on. 
Critically, um, in 1998, there was this strong assumption, I said this at the start, that uh, we were heading for an environment, a political policy environment, of much greater political stability and trust. That didn't fully develop. Therefore, some of the economic uh, dividend, and I'm anticipating Graham's presentation here, didn't, uh, wasn't fulfilled. In economic terms, the new beginning to, to refer to your sort of strap line for, for these seminars, has proved to be actually quite limited. Now, finishing off with, in terms of what I want to say, and again, thank you for uh, allowing me this opportunity. Um, conclusions, the next 25 years, and in a sense, this may be more interesting than you know, going over the past. I'm going to offer this forecast, which I, th I would be fairly confident about, Whereas, in the 1998 agreement, there was very little about economics, and I've got my uh, old document here, and as far as I can see in the 30 pages, you have to turn to one subparagraph of three lines in page 19 with respect to the economy, and maybe a few other isolated references, but it's a tiny fraction, or at least in terms of words, of the 1998 agreement. But I think we can predict in the next 25 years the economy will be a much more significant consideration for any restored executive and assembly. Why is that? At least three reasons. Budget constraints are tighter, first of all, at the UK wide level. So the scope for UK governments and HM Treasury to deliver generous packages of support and arrangements for Northern Ireland will be much more uh, limited. Secondly, as I already hinted at, um, the Barnet squeeze has begun, and unless something dramatic is done in terms of policy intervention, uh, there are some ideas out there about what might be done, the, the Welsh precedent, for example. Um, that will continue, and that will be another constraint. And thirdly, um, it's going to become more and more clear to the general public and others uh, that uh, North Island is falling behind economically. So, taking that all together, hard choices will become harder to avoid. To use a phrase from a French politician in the 1950s, indeed French Prime Minister in the mid-1950s, Pierre Mende France, uh, to govern is to choose. I think during 1998 to 2023, to some extent, there is an attempt to avoid the reality of that. So what should be done, and I'm going to finish here with three points. Um, first of all, we need to develop, and we also need to use, uh, capacity to consider policy. In North Island hitherto, and you know, I can give you historical examples, more recent examples, indeed I've personal experience of this too. In Northern Ireland, it's very difficult to have a reasoned debate around difficult policy options. Capacity is limited, permission is lacking, vested interests have strength. And whilst in principle, the university should be providing a venue for open debate, um, I wonder if they are performing that role. Then, what else should be done? Two other uh, recommendations. 
The second one here, uh, simplified down to a very small number of key policy targets, um, I'm drawing a contrast with the programmes for government, which we did have between roughly the year 2000 and then we had the draft one in 2016, which I think is the most recent. Uh, and then we've had further work on a outcomes framework, but uh, that hasn't led to a new version. Um, the, those PFGs typically had very large numbers of outcomes and indicators. We have seen something of a shift in policy approach at the London level. And interestingly enough, both the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition have uh, settled on five priorities or five missions. And I wonder whether that should actually be the right approach for any future executive. And my understanding is the internal um, developments within NICS have been moving in that direction, in any case, towards a much smaller number of key policy uh, targets. And then thirdly and lastly, um, this is a difficult one, but I, I do think we have a problem in this area as well. Um, first of all, let me say money and resources and indeed advice received from other parts of the world, particularly parts of the world that do things better historically than we've done, that's always helpful and we should be grateful. But I do wonder whether we have, in terms of the way politics and policymaking in Northern has developed since 1998, uh, we've taken this too far. And really, uh, we have now a tendency to run to outside influences, be it London, Dublin, Brussels, Washington, um, rather than make decisions and take responsibility here, which I think will ultimately be decisive for good or ill, but let us at least take some decisions for ourselves. So, thank you very much. I hope I've stuck the time there, roughly. So, thank you.